big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. There are, at time of recording, in excess of 30 science parks in and around Cambridge, varying in size and with their origins either emerging from the colleges, a particular industry such as pharmaceuticals, or created by a specialist such as Bruntwood SciTech or the O2H Group. However, it is Cambridge Science Park, just off the A14 and a short walk from Cambridge North Railway Station, that has the distinction of being the first science park. Not just the first in Cambridge, or the first in the United Kingdom, but the whole of Europe. As well as being a trailblazer, Cambridge Science Park is also proof that the city's ecosystem simply does not know how to rest on its laurels. With the UK's premier science park constantly looking to the future, under the leadership of director Jane Hutchins. I managed to catch up with Jane and got a fantastic insight into this crucible of innovation, plus a special tour of the Cambridge Science Park just for Eastern Promise listeners. It's a glorious Wednesday morning on Cambridge Science Park and I'm here with director of Cambridge Science Park, Jane Hutchins, who's looking very summery, very happy, who's, who's, about, who's about to go off on a well-deserved well vacation. Jane, welcome to Eastern Promise. What a delight it is to be here and have you on the show. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this. Any chance to enthuse about my favourite science park goes down well with me. Perfect. Can you give us, please, I always like to start with this question, the potted history of Jane Hutchins? Goodness me. Um, right. So I was born in the West Country, north of Bristol, briefly, because my father was building the M4, M5 interchange, which he always gets lost in, even when he drives through it now. And then we moved back to my parents' hometown of London when I was a year old. So I essentially grew up in South London, only child, all-girls school, very female <laughs> environment. But my main sport was sailing, which was a very male environment, which uh, got me over that particular handicap, shall we say. I went to Portsmouth and studied economics and geography. And then I worked in various jobs in central London, business and business sales, financial regulation in the city, and then took a big crew break for children and at that point my, um, my husband's job took us down to Southampton. Fast forward a few years, I was very bored going up wall and I went for a two-week temporary placement at Southampton Science Park. Didn't know what a science park was, if I'm honest I didn't particularly care, but I was working on University of Southampton very early stage spin-out companies. So I got a, a bird's eye view of um, what they were up to, what they were doing technologically, and the challenges they faced as companies just running themselves. I stayed for 18 years. <laughs> <Ended up as, laughs> I kind of got stuck. I think I would like to think I was helpful and useful. I ended up as business development director there and developed an absolute passion for science parks and the nature of the communities you find on them. And when Cambridge Science Park approached me, about a year ago and said, would I be interested in bringing some of my enthusiasm to Cambridge? I simply couldn't say no. No. It was too exciting an opportunity to turn down. So here I am. Well, it's fantastic that you're here. And um, weather permitting, mm. when we finished our, our little chat, we're going to go, if I say weather permitting, the weather certainly does permit, <laughs> uh, we're going to go on a walk around the park yes. and see 
all the various things because this is a huge site. There is so much going on over so many different fields. What is the one thing, uh, they say the one takeaway from this, what is the one thing you want people who perhaps have never visited this science park, and you absolutely should, uh, to know, to understand about Cambridge Science Park? I think the one thing is it's a cradle of innovation. It's about the business side, not the blue skies research. And it's open. Now, we want people to come in and find out about what's going on here. Not every building is open to the public, but some are. The one that I'm talking to you in now, for example, the Bradfield Centre, has a publicly accessible cafe. It's open Monday to Fridays. All sorts of people come in here and they spark conversations. But we also see conversations being sparked between companies, between innovators. And I think the big message is that the innovation that happens here is relevant to you, to ordinary people outside. It's relevant to everyone. And the technologies and the treatments for life science conditions, whatever it might be, impact ordinary people in their everyday lives and make those lives better. And what's not to love about that? Absolutely. I mean, you, you can probably, listeners will be able to hear in the background. Mm. I mean, we've closed the door, but the <laughs> buzz, the absolute buzz going on here is phenomenal. Yes. Um, and sort of, it's called engineered serendipity. It was a fantastic yeah. phrase that uh, Ros Bird uh, first used uh, at uh, Norwich Research Park. Um, what difference does it make and what does it mean to you to have, and I think this is the only, the only one where this is true, the name of the city in the name of your park? Um, I think for Cambridge, the power of the brand of Cambridge is global. And it, it, it's known as being a major centre for, um, for research, for know-how, for knowledge for innovation, for scientific discovery, um, and of course for other, it's other sectors as well, but it's a science that is particularly relevant to us. So Cambridge as a brand is incredibly powerful. It opens doors, it has global recognition. Um, when this science park was established just over 50 years ago, it was the Cambridge Science Park. There were no others. We were the first in the UK. Um, so just being able to say the Cambridge Science Park was amazing. And mm. I still do say the Cambridge Science Park. I don't blame you. Um, which was, yeah, it's different. It's different. It's moving into being on the inside of that brand power has been a revelation for me. I've yes. always understood it, of course. But to live it from the inside is just amazing. I think doing what I uh, do, you can't sort of ignore that. Mm. It, you, you, you do get um, pulled into it and... Uh, I think I think what I've learned is don't fight it, yeah. go with it. Um, so you, you mentioned this is the first, the original, mm. the definite article, as it were. And what does that mean to you? And how do you see the role of <clears throat> director, mm. your role, developing as as time goes on, as new developments come uh, to the park, as spin outs grow, etc. I think the biggest challenge of a, gr a director of a growing science park will be to maintain a sense of community actually within this estate. It's hard enough as it is. This science park is six times the size of the one that I came from originally down in really? Southampton. Wow. Six times. Um, and we would hope to see that double over the next five to ten years. Wow. Without losing any of our green spaces, which we love. But it's, to create community in something that is scaled up in that way is going to be very challenging. So we're having to harness all of our resources in terms of not just getting to know people, 
but also creating spaces in which that serendipitous meeting will still happen, and the managed meetings as well, and frankly, beating heads together and saying, you will come out and engage, because yes. why are you here come outside. otherwise? Why are you in a science park if you don't want to engage with your collaborators, potential collaborators, yeah. on your doorstep? And, and, you know, the, the, you're right that there are so, so many rich opportunities mm. that can flow. And, and sometimes trying, you're right, you're just so right, it's so right, just like knocking heads together to get people to say, look, you can benefit from this. Talk to this person, talk to that person. You, come here and yeah. do this thing and we'll, we'll, we'll all benefit because even if you say, well, it's lovely to meet you, we'll stay in touch. Mm. And, and sometimes you just, people get quite understandably sort of encased in their little silos. Completely. And I, I, I can't remember who I asked this to, and in, in many ways it really does. Yes, I do. It was um, uh, the, the Civic University Project at the University of East Anglia. Mm. Um, do you see your role as a silo buster? Actually, yes. Yes, I do. I've never heard it described that way before, but no, that's exactly it. It's, it's beating down the doors and finding the barriers and saying, how do we overcome these? Yeah. And it's not just within the science park, but it's also breaking down the silo of a science park within a city. Indeed. And I think, you know, we both, I've acknowledged this publicly, and Trinity College, who own the science park, have also acknowledged this, that we haven't been great at that in the past. Um, we've made some mistakes, but the spirit of the entire science park movement nowadays is so much more open and inclusive. And we all want people on our doorsteps and in our neighbouring cities to understand what we're doing. And if we're perceived as being a, as a silo, then it's off-putting. The local community isn't going to be curious and act and respond to that curiosity by wandering onto the estate or coming to events here. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of silos and lots of them need to be broken down. I feel slightly guilty because I've put my questions in front of you and seen you try to read them upside down. Like I should have, I, 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 I should have really, should I have given them to you first? Uh, no, that one, no, yes, maybe. Um, now, uh, you, you bring me on and I'm going to have to find the actual question because I'm going to jump ahead. Oh, right. Because you've, um, aha, here it is, uh, number 12. Um, because you, you, you kind of really neatly linked me into that. Now, the UK Science Park Association yes. Yes. Uh, recently published Polling. Is it polling or polling? Polling. We'll go with polling. I hate it, but we'll go with polling. <laughs> that indicated the public are sceptical mm. about the benefits of spending on research and development. Yes. Now, cards yes. on the table. I don't think that's true. And if it is, then it's ridiculous. Um, because science basically has not, within the last five years, rescued us from mm. the purgatory of endless Teams meetings. And I yes. hate Teams the pattern. <laughs> it's my nemesis. Um, because I'm very bad at using it. How yes. short memories are. Now... That's yes. my bias out there. Uh, how do you react to the idea that the public are... In the cost of living crisis, I can kind yeah. of understand it, but... Yeah, completely. What's your thoughts? I've heard that as well. Um, I'm not surprised so much, because I think a lot of people who do research often do it for its own, its own benefits and their own passions. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily very good at telling the story to people outside their immediate circles. Um, and it's telling that story that we have to do better. The pandemic was a marvellous opportunity. That's probably not the best way to put it, but it was a... It was a no, a, but I see what you mean. There's an opportunity in every, in every crisis. There's, yes. there's some, the number of some people who've said, well, we started in the pandemic. Yes, precisely. Yeah. And, and the general public suddenly saw daily 
on the Daily News updates from Chris Whitty and, and his, oh, yes. his team, scientists saying, this is how we are carrying out research, this is what we've learnt, it looks like we need to go down a certain path in order to protect people or in order to develop you know, mechanisms for slowing the spread, in order to develop vaccines, therapies. Science was at the head of the news all the time, in a positive way. It was a very frightening situation, and it was a very upsetting and distressing situation for everybody. But we all saw science desperately trying and ultimately succeeding to find a path out of the pandemic. Mm. A, a friend of mine, who I won't name, um, <laughs> <laughs> years ago was um, science editor of a national news channel. And we were chatting one evening, and we said, why is it that the scientific particularly the health stories on the national news, are scare stories. Yeah. And he said, well, we sit and we read all the research papers that come out. We say, oh, that sentence makes a good headline. He said, we have such a short opportunity. All we can do is pick out the sentence. And if it's scary, we get higher viewing numbers. So I think the way science is portrayed is not necessarily, or scientific knowledge is portrayed in the media and elsewhere, is not necessarily helping the cause. No. So... Yeah, I can see that during the pandemic, people wanted government to throw a huge amount of money at science to, to get us out of the crisis. And I have certainly seen that, particularly in the context of the cost of living crisis, the public appetite to see taxpayer money being spent on scientific research, where the benefits aren't always clearly explained, would be lacking. Um, I think the current inquiry that's looking into COVID, where you've, you've had... Um, George Osborne and David Cameron recently being interviewed yeah. on the news. And I don't make this in any sort of political um, judgment, in my view. But they were openly saying, well, in government, we have to make decisions on funding. It's not always easy. So I don't know how to square the circle. No, it's... But it, it is of concern if the, the public are not seeing the benefits to them and mm -hmm. to the economy and indeed to the world and climate change. Of scientific research. I think I, I remember, not my phrase, but discovery mm. is a, a benefit in itself. Mm. Um, because, as you say, you never know where it's going to lead. Mm. Um, Three-fifths of the company on this science park yeah. originated here, yes. um, in this city. Now, that sounds like, when you say it out loud, you, you, some might think, well, of course they did. But this is the number three global yeah. hub for science. You know, yeah. this is the number three spot in the world under, you know, two, top two are America, then yes. it's Cambridge. Yes. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and to have so many here rather than coming from outside mm. and saying, wanting mm. to get that hold of the flagpole and, and, and tied to the brand. I think that's amazing. Um, why do you suppose, you, how, do you, how have you achieved that and how are you sort of managing that and how has it happened that way, I suppose I'm asking? I suppose it all dates back to what's called the Cambridge phenomenon. Books have been written. Journalists have opined on the subject. But back in the, I think it was 1963, Harold Wilson, before he was Prime Minister, made what is still judged to be one of the most significant political speeches of the 20th century. And you referred to the need, I paraphrase it, I'm afraid, um, the need to embrace the white heat of technology. Yes, I, yeah, well, the so white heat. Yeah. A, a phrase we're all familiar with. It's, yeah. it's become common parlance, but he was the one who coined it. And made this transformatory speech saying we've got to basically stop looking back to our old industrial heritage 
embrace the white heat of technology and the benefits it will bring to the future economy and society and move forward. And that was back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, at around the same time, Cambridge University also looked across the seas to America at what was beginning to happen there with the very first science parks and an embryonic concept and thought this is a really good way of gaining impact and reputation for the university and they changed their culture. It sounds so easy to say but changing yeah. the culture of a major and very historic institution must have been incredibly difficult at the time. Yeah. But they freed their investigators, their researchers, professors to effectively dabble in spinning out companies. Yeah. Um, and I still get visits from people all, from all around the world who say, what, they're allowed to? <laughs> and you just think, wow, you know, it's, even now, even in the 21st century, people are surprised at the freedom to explore other options that yeah. Cambridge academics are given. It's no longer unique to Cambridge in the UK or indeed globally, but it is remarkable. And it was enabling them to take some of their know-how, parcel it up into a company, and set that company loose on the market that resulted in 23 unicorns coming out of this, frankly, tiny little city on the yeah. edge of the fens. Yeah. Um, it is remarkable. I mean, the, the stats blow my mind, even though I quote them all the time. But you know, 23 companies that have come from this one university in a small city that have reached a billion-dollar valuation is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that people come from all around the world, as well as from around the UK, to say, what's your secret? How do you do it? And I think at the heart of it, it was Cambridge taking a very liberal and forward-thinking approach. Yeah. It was Trinity College saying, we have an old farm on the edge of Cambridge that was given to us by Henry VIII in 1546 that could do better. Um, it wasn't really being actively used as a farm in the 70s. It was uh, it had railway sidings on it and broken tanks. That I was going to say, you made it really, yeah. yeah. After World War II. So it wasn't a particularly attractive site. And they saw potential for creating a science park, almost like an experiment. Yeah. And the rest, as they say, is history. You know, we're no longer the only science park in Cambridge. There are 30, 35 in Greater Cambridge. A huge range of scale. And that the sheer number of companies and research campuses and specialist institutes that are now established in this city are yeah. all driving that creation of companies. But it is a, you're right, that three-fifths statistic is huge. Yeah. And it's one of the powers of Cambridge that, that drives further success. People want to be part of that story because it's, it's exciting, it's um, innovative, it's passionate, it's full of people with enthusiasm. It's just addictive. Yeah, it, it truly yeah. is. I, yeah. I, and you make me think, going back to the Wilson point, you made me think of Concord. And mm. today, on a much smaller, more local scale, Goldsmith Street, the passive house development that Norwich City Council put through, mm. in which... And I, I've always... Concord fascinates me because my engineer has... Um, inherited a, a recording, a film made of the assembly of the second Concorde prototype. But if you look back at Concorde, that was, we all think very fondly of it, what a phenomenal thing, you know, fast, what a fastest passenger jet, you know, uh, symbol of freedom, of technology, how cripplingly expensive it was. But it was like, 
yes, the first one mm. might be crippling expensive, but what we learn and what we grow out of that, and, and the same with Goldsmith Street, there are, it's detractors to say, well, it was very expensive to do. Mm. Yes, but it's, you know, people are living somewhere in houses that cost nothing to heat. And, mm. you know, they, once we've done it once, we can do it again and better yeah. and faster and cheaper. And so it goes on. Mm. And so those, those advantages, those benefits flow from that, what, that act of creation, discovery, innovation that, yeah, might cost a bit of money. But what can we gain? And I think well, it we... demonstrates what's possible, doesn't mm. it? And yes it, you know, yes, it was very expensive to do that particular development, but it attracted so much coverage from you know, mm. architects, press, specialist press, national press, other people wanting to find out what was done. And I, I guess anything that's new, the first few tend to be eye-wateringly expensive. Look at mobile phones, look at yeah. laptop computers. Yeah. Um, the first cars were only for the very rich because they were the only people who could afford them. And then you move into mass production, ultimately. Yeah. You find savings, you, you scale. So, yeah, it's a demonstration of what needs to be done. I mean, my daughter's begging me for a virtual reality headset um, <laughs> for, for Christmas. And it's yeah. like, I, I, when I was younger, I couldn't, you know, it was still the preserve of, mm. you know... Uh, Adastral Park, you know, their one headset that costs mm. like thousands, tens of thousands of pounds. Yes. Don't touch it unless you, you know, were willing to take the risk. You know, um, I'm going to jump in there because there's a great it. story. Um, we're in the Bradfield Centre, which is the home to tech startups. And one of the great things about science parks is that you get people who are enthusiastic and want to help, and want to take part in things. Mm. So I was one volunteer who was taking part for, in a study, an experiment for a company, little startup that's here, that is looking at ways of making people using virtual reality headsets not feel seasick. Yes. <laughs> and they didn't make me feel seasick, but they're basically using all of us as guinea pigs, research fodder, yeah. to come in. And um, yeah, it was great fun. So Excellent. some of my brain waves have been analysed, my emotional hey. responses to, <gasps> there's a fire. I just, I just remember... Um, having a go on uh, sort of, sort of high-end virtuality mm. at Adastral Park and the person who tried it after me yeah. accidentally walked into the wall oh, uh, because he thought, I have to move back. Oh, no, I'm supposed to just not move at all. Yeah. Um, I ask this not because I mm. regard it as any way a problem, but mm. just out of interest, because we talked about how many homegrown companies are here. What's mm. the sco scope of overseas interest and investment in Cambridge Science Park? And where's that kind of flowing from? Because I know we've got Tusk Park, yes. for example. Yes. Um, so could you talk to that? Yes, sure. So the, we've got about 60 buildings here, depends how you count them. Um, about half are owned directly by Trinity College, and they are full of um, start-ups, scale-ups, spin-outs, and mature companies as well. And the other half of the buildings are owned by all sorts of other people, um, ranging from Tusk Park, who you already mentioned, which is um, a spin-out they, I think they describe themselves as a platform for innovation, but they mm -hmm. were spun out from a major Chinese um, university science park. And they have put up five buildings on the science park, some of which they've sold on, some of which they've retained. Um, and then the rest of the ownership ranges from pension funds for county councils through to specialist life science and technology developers. Um, Trinity is known to be one of the richer colleges, if not the richest in Cambridge. And I get a lot of comments from people saying, well, why have they almost ceded control, if you like, of some of the buildings on the park? That's not the case at all. We, know we work very closely mm. with the other building owners here. 
But even Trinity's pockets aren't deep enough to develop and now redevelop uh, an estate of this size. So you have to bear in mind that the reason that they own places like Cambridge Science Park and have developed it are to raise revenues to fund all the activities of the college. Yes. So we have a commercial purpose and we partner with other, with other owners in order to fulfil that and see it going forward. I mean, it's so interesting that some of the oldest organisations in our country mm. are also some of the most forward-thinking and most innovative. It's, yes. you know, we've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's kind of stewardship. It's the very definition of patient capital, in fact. Absolutely. Because um, yeah, Trinity have been part of this quadrant of North East Cambridge since 1546. Right. You know, the reason Henry VIII gave them this farm was that he set up Trinity College. Yeah. And it needed revenue to support its activities. Yeah. So he set up what's called the Trinity Endowment all those centuries ago, and it's still there, it's still running. Yeah, well, one of his better decisions. Um... <laughs> yes. I'm confused mm. about where uh, the UK, whether or not the UK has rejoined Horizon. The, the EU science programme. Mm. We were going to, and then we weren't going to, and we've got the pioneer alternative, and who knows? It's all very confusing and still in the mix, yeah. as far as I know. But were that to go ahead, and mm. uh, were readmission to take place, what could that, would that mean for this park? Are you, is that something you can foresee? Yeah, that's a really interesting question that I have never been asked before. Hey, so breaking new ground on Eastern <laughs> Promise, folks. Definitely. So I'm thinking on, off, the, off the cuff with remarkably little background information, but anything that promotes collaboration has to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of companies come to me over recent years in all sorts of different fields all, and all across the country saying that the loss of Horizon was a real problem for them, huge problem. Um, but equally, I'm, I'm coming across companies even now that are in receipt of EU funding in the UK. Yes. I'm thinking, well, how does that work? Yeah. You know, there, there's, some of it is legacy. Legacy funding, Some of yeah. it seems to be a bit newer. But there seems to be a very strong appetite to collaborate. And again, getting that diversity of thought, diversity of partner institutions feeding into the research that yeah. you're doing, the development that you're doing, can only be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, the more the better. And taking us back to where the conversation was a while ago, if you're in a silo, it's not healthy. Mm. And you know, whatever goes on politically post-Brexit with our relationship with Europe, people still want to deal with people. And a lot of the people I know are dealing with collaborators in Europe, America, China, India, Indeed. Australia, Chile, you know, all over the world. Wow. Um, so it's a good thing. Um, I've got this image in my head. <laughs> And yes. you can tell me if this is accurate or not, that somewhere, in the, either in this building or at mm. home, you've got this giant 3D table of this area, and you've got, like, building blocks. You can sort of look <laughs> at the future and say, no, that doesn't work. Sweep it all off, start again. Um, yeah. So what is... When you've got sort of an eye to the future mm -hmm. and you know you've got more land you can work with, develop, yes. whether it's within where we are, and we, we know that there's some sites that are waiting mm. for their next, the next phase of their life, yes. or, uh, you know land beyond that mm. um what's your process how do you go about it please tell me you do have one of those little building blocks <laughs> things that play with or the, the facetious and flippant answer is i wanted a, a map with blocks and i was told no oh. <laughs> but the reason i was told no is that if i built it today and had my little building blocks i'd probably have to change it in the next two years 
So right. it's, it's on my wish list. Right. <laughs> I, I went to Harwell recently um, and talked to the guys there and they've got a lovely one which is on a very dark background with um, Perspex buildings and they can demonstrate their current state of development and their future. Wow. And they can light them up in different ways. And I've, yeah. I've got a bit of a crush on their 3D model. But um, it, we do definitely have a master planning process that goes on. Um, the nature of the ownership of the buildings means that we have influence rather than absolute control. Um, but we also have a very good relationship with our stakeholders. So it's a good, it's a good relationship. It's a healthy relationship. We are an ageing science park just looking at this original estate. Um, some of the buildings that went up, particularly in the early days, are so time expired. They have no real attraction in the market. They are leaky as hell from a, an environmental yeah. and energy efficiency point of view, and it's not something you can easily remediate. So they, they need to go, and they need to be replaced with modern, sustainable buildings in every sense of that word. Um, the redevelopment that we have seen on the park over the last few years, taking the Tuss example that you raised as, as the primary one, because it's the most visible, has been really good. Uh, the buildings have got really good energy performance. They are designed far more around people, not only using them, but visiting them. Yes. Um, if you look at the very grand buildings, units one and two, as they are romantically known, <laughs> uh, at the main entrance, the science park, they're very glass. You know, yeah. The outside is all glassy, particularly at night. If you see them, they are gorgeous. They are, I have. And you can see in. Yes. Can, it's, it's the opposite of a silo. It's not bounded with, with impenetrable cladding that you can't see in. Yeah. As some of our older buildings are, you can see in. You can see that there are people just like you and me, not two-headed weird scientists doing odd stuff. No, they're that's, doing that's phenomenal the top floor. stuff. Yeah. yeah, the top floor you can't look into. But they're doing phenomenal stuff. But it's people like us. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just relatable people. And the interiors are gorgeous. Do you know, you, you make me think of... I haven't done this yet, and I, mm. I am going to. The, the, the date's coming in the diary, but uh, the Quadrum... Have you ever visited the Quadrum Institute on the North Yes, I have. Park? Yes. And uh, yes. it blew my mind the first time I went inside. Because that, like, like here, like the Centrum building on the research park mm. is uh, open and there's a cafe that's yes. accessible to the public, which yes. I didn't know, uh, that the cladding is based, uh, the wood cladding is based around uh, genetic code. Yes. I was like, oh my God. And it's like a concert hall in there. It is. It's like the floor yes. of a concert. You've got this be- that lovely staircase up to, I mean, you can't get it, that's closed, obviously, but, yeah. and then you've got like the, I, don't, I can't call them balconies, the mezzanine floor's got, yeah. and it's designed yeah. like a cell. And yes. I stood on with the head of PR, Andrew Stronach. Uh, hello, Andrew, if you're listening. Um, in one of those sort of bulges, mm. and he said, "Oh, this is designed like a cell yes. on the inside." Yeah. And we, yes, over, a we, biology we s- cell, not a prison cell. Exactly. Biology. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but thank you. That's really useful. <laughs> yes. Yes. We don't let them out. Um, good behaviour. And um, we could see across the atri- the atrium, um, big glass windows, the laboratories. Yes. yes. And he said it's designed so we can build bring visitors to the office side, stand here and look yes. directly to what, as the science goes on. Yes. Um, and he says, although I do get emails when I take tours, um, you know, scientists emailing me afterwards going, we're not animals, this isn't a zoo. And he just has to respond, you kind of are, though. <laughs> and that's really important that you yes. are. 
you know, because we want people want to see what you're doing and how fantastic Absolutely. it is. Yes, and, uh, and act actually, look, it also it's not just that it, the work they do is fascinating, but seeing them do it is actually quite dull. Because you know, standing pipetting, for example, if it's not being done by a robot for you, yeah. is dull, repetitive work. But it's also kind of relatable in a human scale. Yeah. And you see that the people in working in labs aren't doing scary things. They're just working. Yeah. They're, again, they're normal people doing a job. And there is this slightly inherent fear. I don't know if it's fueled by sci-fi or what, that scientists are dangerous. I mean, you think how many movies you've watched where the bad guy is a mad scientist. Yeah. It, you know, be it James Bond or um, sort of superhero franchises. Yeah. So often the scientist who's the, the evil world domineering um, yeah. personality. And that's, that's not what science is. I know no. loads of sciences. They're just ordinary people wanting to make a difference. Yeah. They've seen a way in which they can improve somebody's life experience in whatever field it is, through exploration of space, through using climate-friendly propellants on satellites to reposition them, which was something that didn't even occur to me as an issue, be it producing treatments that are less invasive or even non-invasive for yeah. detecting disease, for making your phone work better. There are all these things that make our lives better. Someone has had an idea and said, this is brilliant. And they're not scary. Yeah, it's, it, that, that is so true. Um, yeah. I know lots of scientists and they are, they are decidedly not scary yeah. people at all. Right, I think we've made it through. Oh, that's good timing as well. Okay. Uh, let me just double check. Okay. Uh, ah, no, there's, there's a couple there that we've not done. What excites you most? That's, uh, how could I forget wow. this one? What excites <laughs> you most about the future of this park? Oh, gosh. Um, the, the vision, the overall vision for the redevelopment of it. Um, we've started, and I know the values that are being brought to that whole project um, from various stakeholders and it's it's not only going to be visually beautiful it's going to we're looking at densifying it you know, significantly expanding the floor print the amount of space here which is necessary because there's the Cambridge is full and there is a lot still to be done in terms of the businesses that are here or that will originate here or that will come here we have to house them um, it'd be great to be the housing location of choice for those businesses, <laughs> all businesses need a home. But the, the standard, um, not just for people walking through the science park from the local area who, who will continue to use our green spaces because they will be enhanced and not reduced through this process, um, but the, for the people working in those buildings. You know, modern interiors for, for office fit-outs and lab fit-outs are so employee-centric now, and they, they are considering things like neurodiversity in the design of a floor. It's just incredible. There'll be healthier places to work. Um, and the fact that it's all around sharing the excitement, sharing the journey, bringing people in, engaging with people on our doorsteps to inspire them to have careers in science and technology, which they might not have considered previously. You know, to move from the science park being a place that is a part that is other, that's not their Cambridge, it's somebody else's Cambridge, to bring that or turn it around and say it's a welcoming and inclusive environment and it's an inspirational environment for everybody. That, well, I think that's yeah. just, it can't be beaten. No, I think, well, I can say as a, as a, 
an outsider, if I can call myself that, that, that that's something I feel like you, you achieve. Uh, you. It's fantastic. Yeah. And um, we've got a Secretary of State for Science currently yes. and a Science Minister mm. too, who are both MPs from this region, both, mm. from Nor- both MPs from Norfolk actually. Yeah. But what would you like to see, whoever is in government, where would you like to see that spotlight turn? Uh, in terms of, I mean, not not just uh, well, look at Cambridge, mm. uh, look at Cambridge Science Park, but in terms of their approach to mm. to uh, innov- investing in innovation. Um, I mean, for my, for what it's worth, from my point of view, I think it's not to be afraid of saying we tried it and it didn't work. Mm. Let's learn from that and do something else. Not we have to get this right because we'll be pilloried for yes. it. Yes, it's. Um that's a huge question. <laughs> Absolutely huge. Well, we ask the big <laughs> questions here, and we ask them of the people who we think, who we know, will know the answer. No, no, no pressure there, then. <laughs> so, I, what do we want to see? I think from government is create the environment um, in which we can deliver what the country requires. So, it's, it's a key, key tenet of government policy is to develop the UK as the global hub for science and innovation. Um, that, that's now been turned into the hashtag scientific superpower. Yes. Um, and it's gaining a lot of traction. Yes. Um, so what we need to be able to do is to deliver the accommodation for those companies. Um, and it has to be sustainable. It has to be acceptable to the local population. So, and it has to benefit them as well as the companies. So all of that comes down into um, us being mindful of what people on the ground need from um, I'm thinking about the the master plan we developed for Science Park North, Cambridge Science Park North, which has been extensively canvassed with local people and initially we did a survey and their feelings were a bit mixed. Once we'd engaged with them that changed and they were positively in favour. Yeah, that's a, so, so is that is that forgive uh, yeah. slight expression of ignorance, is that to presumably the north of the A14? It's just the other side. Yeah. Yes. Uh, near Histon in Impington. Mm-hmm. So at the moment you know, it's it's just it I say just, it's a master plan. It's something that we perceive um, that there is a verified need for around Cambridge, which is accommodation for mid tech rather than high-tech. So if you think of Cambridge Science Park as being the home of high-tech spin-outs, those spin-outs reach a point where they need to start doing prototyping, and there is, there's been analysis done that shows there is a real shortage of prototyping mid-tech space in and around Cambridge. Now, clustering, so the development of um, companies in a particular sector in close geographical proximity to each other is acknowledged worldwide as being a driver of economic development and of success for those companies, which of course brings in economic growth to the region. You then look at Cambridge and say, well, Cambridge is nationally, if not internationally, significant in the economic contribution it makes. Now, you look at the UK, and I saw a statistic recently that one pound in every nine generated in the UK comes from Cambridge. And it's just, again, it's that, one of those you know mind-blowing that statistics. Is a, I, I'm glad yes. I'm recording this, because I thought, I mu- that, you know, where's my pen? I must write that down. And I'll explain why uh, a bit later. So, I think we better get out on Shanks' pony while we've still got, I've still got some time in your diary. I think that's and, right. And the sun is shining. Look, well, the sun's we still shining. Let's go do it.
But Jane Hutchins, for now, thank you very much for a, a really exciting chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And let's go, let's go and take a look. Perfect. Let's go. So we're out behind the Bradfield Centre. We are. Um, in, the, in the lovely seated areas. There's people working out mm -hmm. in, the, in the sunshine. Jane, where now? I think we ought to walk down towards, through this grassy bank covered in daisies, because okay. I love daisies. And uh, then actually go to the old Trinity Centre, because there's quite a good story there you can tell about the history of the Science Park and where we're going next. Yeah, fantastic. I love the amphitheatre seating, kind of looking out. There's a, a, sort of a covered area and out onto the fountain and the... The lake. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I was here in, on a really grey day about four months ago. It was a bit damp. And there are a bunch of mothers sitting outside with their toddlers all in their, you know, the multicoloured little places yes. they have. And they were, the toddlers spent the best part of two hours just going up and down that amphitheatre yeah. seating, just playing while the mums took it in turns to come in and grab coffee and take away. You were asking, where do we go next? So this is a large open green space there. It's crying out for development. There used to be buildings here yes. that housed companies. They reached the end of their useful life and they were removed. So we've got a green space and a very unattractive mound of broken up reinforced concrete. Yes, I mean, when I say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, I don't think you'd <laughs> find many beholders who'd no. say that was beautiful, unless they were thinking about either A, selling it, or B what they can do next, Indeed. Which, is, which is where the excitement comes in. It is absolutely where the excitement comes in. So that, that concrete, which is a bit of an eyesore, is also a very important part of our vision of the future because that contains carbon. That's the remains of the frame of the previous building that we looked at the cost of the carbon that's embodied within it and said we cannot get rid of it yeah. because the cost is too high in carbon terms. We will keep it, retain it, and use it in the groundworks for the next building. Absolutely. So that's sustainability in action. Yes. So I think a lot of what goes on, particularly in commercial property, in terms of sustainability and climate change, is invisible. It's things like insulation. It's things like removing gas boilers, which we've done quite a lot of. Um, right. We do it opportunistically when we get a building back at the end of a lease, for example. Um, so we're doing quite well on that side. But nobody can see it. So unless we actually shout about yes. it, no one knows what we're doing. So we're quite proud of our rubble mound. Yes. I, Although I was very distressed when I first arrived and saw it because it's quite ugly. It's a very good story because yeah. it's saying this is what carbon management looks like in reality. There you and go. And it's visible. Absolutely. And it's a great hook for a, for a it is. conversation. It is because it worked for me, actually, because I, mm. I, I did a, a, an interview with the East of England Local Government Association and uh, Matt Stewart, who's there, one of their, their policy managers, Who's, who is a self-avowed self fan of brutalism. So I did, when you said uh, it's not very attractive, I thought, I don't know, Matt might find it attractive because he's a, being a fan of brutalism. <laughs> but he, I mentioned, because we'd spoken before about the mound of concrete yes. and why it was there, yeah. and he was like, oh, right, yeah. that's why it's there. Ah, brilliant. And it's kind of like, makes perfect sense now you mention it. Yes. Um, and, yes. and, but you're right, you've got to tell people. I probably ought to put a sign up on it. But See. <laughs> so... <Well. laughs> Next door to the Trinity Centre, just poking through the, the lovely bank of trees there, you've got the top of one of the newer Cambridge consultants' buildings. Yes. Now, you were asking, why is Cambridge so successful? They are one of the reasons. Yes. Cambridge consultants are 
a, a technology consultancy who've been here more or less from the beginning of the, the Cambridge phenomenon. Yes. And they provide unlocking know-how. They really do. And you know, they have provided companies that have spun out from their own organisation, um, but they primarily contract for other companies who are stuck and need really top quality knowledge to unlock their own innovation. And that's yes. what Cambridge consultants do. They, they really do, having been around the, the bits that I could, could see. Yes. Um, I must approach them to do what we're doing. Um, but, uh, yes, you know, the, 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 the things that I saw were amazing. And you just thought, mm. oh, wow. I mean, uh, you know, uh, mobile phone towers on drones the size of 747s. And you know, yes. they're showing me, like, yes. this is, oh, this is the size of one of the mobile um, uh, cellular, cellular bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure I can, I'll think of the word later. But uh, one of the, the, the transmitters, uh, thank you, uh, you know, AI drones um, that, uh, you know, flying in, in formation around uh, 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 through, through a, a, an obstacle and you just yes, like yes it's wow. amazing to see isn't it yeah because they're yeah. working it out the drones are working it out themselves and they're thinking yeah in, you know it's ai that's doing thinking but to see them navigating not on a program path is, is absolutely fascinating because they actually did this slightly don't they yes uh, you can almost sense the cogs working while they think how do we get through this and how do I get my team to follow me? And they do a little dance, don't they? Yeah. When they get it right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, little, like bumblebees do. Yes. And they waggle dance. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, although I have to say, yeah. I went around some of the bits of the Quadrum Institute where it's like, yeah, we don't, don't go in there. That's, that's nasty stuff in there. Oh, and, yeah. And no, you, but I was actually more yeah. worried. We were standing behind the mesh watching the, these drones thinking, what am I going to do if they, if they turn on us there, turn on their human masters? Well, I think you've read, read too much in the news. You need to calm down. Yeah, um, we're going back to these mad scientists again, Yes, we're going we? back to these mad scientists. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah, watch Jurassic Park one too many times. But there's a, there's a lot of glass, I can see. There's there a, is a lot of glass. So this is new. All stretching yeah. down in an arc from our left to, left to our right. Yes. Now, Roku's over there. Uh, yep, I so, thin so out on that, that very from, terrace. From left to right, you've actually got MathWorks first. Oh, right, sorry, so MathWorks first. A, Beg pardon. Very loosely described as Excel spreadsheets on steroids <laughs> by one of their team recently. Um, phenomenal amount of work that goes on in there. Um, next door to them is Roku, this TV streaming... Horse for a van. TV streaming service. Now, Roku's interior fit-out is such fun because they've it's actually amazing. worked on, you know, what, what sector are we in? media and entertainment so each floor has a different theme doesn't it the, yes it does my favorite is the james bond film floor <laughs> i didn't see that one <laughs> i went straight really to the cool. i went straight to the top you know Ooh, and, um... so yes sorry roku yeah roku so tv streaming service there that, that fit out actually won um best fit out of the year at the yes it did BCO the BCO. recently so they're going through to the finals in london in october which is fantastic and again it's all around their staff and i think that's such an important change i've been in commercial property long enough to know that we used to say you can get x people in per square foot and it was all about how many desks can you get in to maximize occupancy and that's not what we're about now. No. It's all about, you know, particularly COVID has accelerated a trend that existed previously to say it's not just about bombs on seats. It's about how do you create the corporate culture? How do you live the values of your organisation? 
and particularly with younger members of the workforce, um, say 40 and below, that sector of the demographic are so passionate about their personal values and they want companies to really not just have a policy or a mission statement that says something grand about their corporate values, they want that company to live those values. And staff will move and staff currently have the power to force companies to do better. I think that's that's a real change. I think it it's is. It's very exciting. I think it is, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah. I'll just move on. Yes. And I'll just, this thought occurs to me that there are... Oh, I paused slightly. Some members of Parliament. I, I know. I know one. One. One of uh, the ones I'm thinking about uh, famously went around and leaving. Uh, sorry, I called, but you were out. Cards at desks of people working at home in a kind oh, of yes. passive-aggressive move. Yes. And I just think, you know, oh, they need to. Everyone needs to get back in the office, you know. Mm. And you just think, I know the parliamentary estate. I know what it's like. And there are places that you can go that. Even people like me with pass, who had passes yeah. are not allowed to go in. You've got exclusive tea room. You've got uh, mem- you know, only members-only section. There was at one point there was an idea for members-only queues, but the staff <laughs> went into a mini-revolt on that one and thinking, <laughs> now, come on. Um, and you think you have all this stuff that's yeah. laid out for you uh, in, a, in, in a building that's sort of privileged access, and now you're going... Oh, but these people—they need to just get on with it, and, and not, you know, we not need to think about them. We just need, you know, oof, on, pack them in, get them working. And what you're saying is absolutely right—that you build it around the staff, happy staff, yes. more productive staff. Yes, seems, seems a no-brainer, really. Yeah, which isn't to say that some of our buildings aren't round. <laughs> well, so, no. You know, turning neatly to our building on the left, we've got yes. the bio innovation bio innovation centre. So this is an amazing building um, because of what it houses. So it's got shared lab space and breakout space and workspace, write-up space for early-stage companies Yeah. in not just life science, um, climate science as well. So, but it's full. It's absolutely full. And the companies Already? in it need to grow. There's a two-year waiting list to get space inside You're it. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. The companies in it, some of them are now ready to grow out. Yeah. Is... And because the science park is full, we don't have the ground space. So right. that's what we're now focusing yes. on. You're asking about our vision for the future. How do we make that journey smoother? Mm-hmm. How do we start from, take companies from that very early stage journey when they might just have a desk in the, uh, part-time in the Bradfield Centre right. or they might have a shared bench in the Bioinnovation Centre? Yeah. How do we then say, when they've got that significant slug of funding from a wonderful venture capitalist somewhere or from a yeah. major government grant, where do you go now? Absolutely. They want to stay put. Yeah. There was a YouGov poll recently that asked life science companies that were growing what were their priorities in terms of location. Their first priority was to stay put. Their staff are used to coming there, their supply chains work, everything works, their customers are used yeah, you to where they are. You don't mess with that unless you have a very good reason. Exactly. And they're often in a cluster, in which case that's going to be a, a, an environment that breeds success. Yeah. And the second thing those life science companies said they needed in their ranking was companies on the doorstep who are in things like software as a service or AI. Yeah. Because the two work incredibly closely together. Mm. And I think if you're in a a traditional generalist science park like this one, where you've got a full range of companies. Yeah. So we've got bio-innovation next door to... Computer games. Yes, I saw Frontier and I thought, my first thought was, oh, this is where they are. Yes. So another one on my hit list. Um, 
not, no, no, not like a computer game, <laughs> but say, rather on my two honest. interview left. <laughs> two interview list. No, they're, they're a great company. Yeah. And of course, yeah, occasionally I'm challenged, you're a science park, uh, you know, aren't gaming companies, of which we have two, a little bit lowbrow for you? It's absolutely not, because they are so often at the cutting edge of innovation. Exactly my, the thought I was going to... Some of their developments will be used in cyber security for banking. Yeah. It's phenomenal, but they've got the creative minds and they've got the innovation and it spawns other ideas. But so on the right, we have an example of some of the sort of 1990s buildings, I would say. Yes, they do have that, that feel. They do. Nothing wrong with them. Perfectly no, nice no, buildings. no. Um, and the car park of this one hosts our food park every Thursday. Is that? So we have ah. all the food trucks, the gourmet food trucks turn up. Which oh, that must popular. be that's fun to And people to, flood onto the science park from around the area. As yes, well. it's not that just people happen. here, who, which is great because, frankly, the harder footfall, the better for the traders, but yeah. also against breaking down that barrier. But this is typical of the thinking behind architecture of the time. So we've walked along the, the there's a ring road yes. in Cambridge Science Park. Um, and we've walked along the ringway to get here, and you turn in through the greenery into a car park. And the front of the building is all about the cars, and then there's a main entrance, which is porticoed. Lovely array of solar power on the roof, good thing to see. Yep. But then the back of the building overlooks the green, the green landscaped ah, core of the park, which is beautiful. Of course it does. So the people inside get the most amazing view, but the people walking up, through the greenery, just see the back of the building. Yeah. It's all about the view for the people inside looking out, not the experience of the people walking through the park. That's interesting because you... So as these yeah. buildings come for redevelopment, that will be again turned around so that any landscaping they have will be bringing a sense of openness and connectivity to those green spaces and continuity and will hopefully encourage people to inquire and to explore. So it's a very much 360 experience. Yes. Um, yes. Because I, I thought it was interesting at the Bioinnovation Centre that they've got underground parking. And they you have. Know, we walked past the entrance and I just, all I could help thinking, I couldn't help thinking that on a day like this, when it's really bright, well, it's not as sunny as it was, but when it's really bright and sunny, mm. how wonderful to get to your car and not have to wait five minutes to actually get, get it bearable to drive and you can actually touch the metal there going ow. oh gosh yes but you know even more wonderful in that underground yes. car park is the fact that it has i can say obsolescence designed into it right so the aspiration is that it will no longer be necessary to have such a large underground car yeah. park as we all move away from single person cars to get us to and from work yes so it's all part of this lived sustainability Absolutely. you know we are encouraging people on the science park not to come on their own in one car mm -hmm. um, and I was talking to somebody locally uh, who works from the local councils in transport and he said oh you've got an amazing reputation for the number of people who cycle to your site I thought, how nice to have that recognized yes. not in public in a private meeting but at least it was acknowledged um, now I talk a lot about sustainability it's at the core of how we manage this place in, in real practical financial terms um, as well as it's just quite simply being the right thing to do yeah but I realized I couldn't talk about it unless I lived it so I now commute by bike absolutely I mean I, I used to when I worked in London I obviously I went in by train every day mm. 
Um, and that's so much more... I mean, people say, oh, I like, I, like the, I like the independence of, you know, going in my car, listening to what I want to listen to. And there's a very good organisation in Norwich called LiftShare that yes. encourages you to yes. do, share that with other people. But I know there's a, there, there would be... A, I can understand the tendency to say, no, I want my, my little space, my little... My choice of music, but then yeah. you're thinking, well, if that's what you want, you can do that on a train anyway. It's not like there's, you know, we're, <laughs> we're well, English that, that don't yeah. break, not everyone breaks out in chatter um, <laughs> unless you're, you're with someone you know or someone you see someone you know. And, you know, you can, you can sit there in your own little world and, and, and actually take time to relax, to read. Yeah. Not so no, much I, on a bicycle. I miss, I miss my day. I used to work in central London and I miss that commuter time because I would sit on the train and read. Mm-hmm. And I got through so many books, mostly novels. Yes. I've oh, me got too. Yeah. So many, and I miss that because now I'm driving or cycling, and I don't put headphones in when I cycle. I'm not brave enough. <laughs> I know <laughs> no. some people do. No, well, I know yeah. supposedly with modern headphones you can hear things coming, but I just don't trust it. No, me, ne- um, me neither. I prefer the the freedom. But um, yeah, it's, I do miss that that opportunity to read, and it's more relaxing if yeah. you come in by public transport. It certainly is. I mean, like I did, I came I came by train today, and it was it's quite a nice walk. Uh, along the guided busway mm. Mm. Um, to the park, and I, I, I sort of entered th- between the two two park buildings. Yes. Um, uh, and yes, came that plaza is beautiful, isn't it? It is. It really is. And the planting around it, I noticed today. Well, now the lavender is out, and the the allium. It's just, it's just beautiful. I mean, speaking and of which, yeah, that's what we're aspiring to. That's you know the first real example of that here. We want more. We want more really top quality modern architecture people-centric, but providing this desperately needed accommodation yes. for life science and other sectors. It's, there's, there's a lot to talk about life science. There's more to it than that. The, the figure that's quoted is that we are short 1.6 million square feet of lab space that's needed now mm-hmm. in Cambridge because this is where the companies are. This is where the talent that they require access to is based. It's a real statistic. You know, it's desperately needed. Talking about green space, passing it like the traffic island and and one very unfortunate pigeon. And, <laughs> yes, um, lots of feathers lying around. And uh, there's all these sort of boulders, which I assume yeah. are sort of part of the traffic calming. You no know, mounting the curb, if you please. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's it's a lovely kind of gentle urbane sort of entrance yeah. to this part of the park. Yes. So it's the, the ring road. Just to be boring, the ring road is a public road that's mm-hmm. adopted by the highways authorities decades ago. This plateau here is actually not. This is the one bit of the ring road that Science Park owns. Right. I was walking around the estate with um, the Wildlife Trust, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. Right. Very, very interesting visit. And we were doing the same route that you and I are doing. We'd walked up from, from the new buildings, gone along the ring road, got to here, and I suddenly lost them because they dived into these... <laughs> My ge- geographer's eyes, a really incongruous selection of boulders, went, oh, your lichen is so healthy. Like, OK. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> the weirdest compliment I've ever had. Healthy lichen. But they, they were thrilled with it, whereas... It, so it's made me look at it in a different way, because yeah. I now yeah. look at it and I'm proud of the boulders because um, uh, it's very hard without pictures. It's It's... A split carriageway with grass in the middle, beautiful pine trees and other feature plantings, um, some low-level scrub cover, and these boulders that are placed strategically for they are, yeah, various reasons to do with traffic. But they're architecturally placed, aren't they? 
yeah. so they, they look designed. It's symmetrical, yes, yeah, there's um, symmetry to them, yeah. They're an encouraging feature. They and we also are. have in the hedges around this building, which is the Royal Society of Chemistry. Really? Very 1980s plantings, uniform hedges. Long-tailed tits nest in them. Really? Which I would not have known <laughs> had I not walked around with the Wildlife Trust. Well, there you go. I think... And our bat boxes are extremely well used. Good. That's lo lovely so to that's hear. That's also very encouraging. Good neighbours. We're doing our bit. Yes. It's nice to see that every... Nearly... I can't see a roof without a solar panel on it, which is, which is encouraging. But yes. one thing I wanted to ask you is... Now, nobody's sort of wishing companies off the park, mm -hmm. but is, is there the idea that, because you mentioned the pressure on lab space, mm. which I don't know where the situation is like that, whether that's easing or whether that's starting to ease, uh, or plans are in place to ease it mm. within the locality, but as companies that are not labs, mm. buildings that are not labs, yeah. that are mainly office or in admin, um, come up or become vacant mm. or whatever happens, mm. that they will be replaced by lab space? Um, to an extent, yes. So, right. the, so every time we have an opportunity, so if a company does move out of a building, either to another building on the Science Park or to elsewhere, um, we then conduct a review and say, well, can we convert this to lab space? Is it feasible? Yeah. Do we have the right, I mean, grossly oversimplifying the conversation, do we have the right physical environment within this building that lends itself to that adaptation? Yes. So where the buildings which we just passed where the food trucks are, one of those is back with us, and there's a very lively conversation <laughs> around, you know, will it be a, a single let, a multi-let, will it have labs put in, uh, will we do the labs, or will the incoming tenant do the labs? All those options will be explored. And it's quite a complicated conversation. Yeah. But the Royal Society of Chemistry, um, they actually do a lot of work on sustainable labs, and they've really? got free resources on their website, quick play. Hey, well, there you go. Um, saying, you know, best practice, lots of guidance. Um, really good tenants to have here, very collaborative. There you go. Which is wonderful from our perspective. Yeah, because it's, it's, I suppose, from my point of view, um, and this is a sort of confession slash apology, everything mm. kind of looks easy. <laughs> um, I, because, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of used to this from working with politicians. I'm sorry, I do diss politicians, but it's a hard <laughs> job um, to say, well, why don't you do this? Because then we've not got to sit down and, and go through and, and people come from various organisations who have a stake, yes. stakeholders, and say, yes, that all sounds great. However, uh, I don't like this, but... And, you know, it, it's easy for people like me to pop up in and say, oh, this is great, you could do this, 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 yeah. this. Isn't that yeah. fun? When we don't have to sort of sit down and wrestle with the reality <laughs> of what it all means. Yes, and as you say, right. lively discussions with everyone who has an interest and has their own exciting mm. ideas. Mm. Yeah, um, this too, by the way, interrupting. Clearly, a runner with his heart monitored out being pace made by the cyclist. Do you know if that's, pace made is a phrase? Um, I have endless admiration for that gentleman because I think I would have collapsed uh, yeah. halfway, even if I'd have made halfway round the first time. It's and a that's hot the sunny third day. time yeah. he's gone by. So if he's training for something, I wish yeah. him every luck, every yes. success. But is it great? See, it's, it's lovely. Being used it's so, it's, it's it is alive. It is alive open. of people yeah. moving around from building to building. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, Parallax. That sounds interesting. Uh, that's the name of the building. Ah. Yes, but it's a great name. <laughs> so, sounds like a, a Len Dayton novel, Parallax <laughs> at 270. It does, doesn't it? Microsoft 
Microsoft Research, yes. Microsoft Research. I can't imagine they'll amount to much, will they? Um, <laughs> uh, Mondi Pharma, C CMR Surgical. And, and that is a, yeah. a huge... What's the name so, of this building? Because it's... Well, these, these three are quite interesting. So to the right, just hidden behind this bank of trees, which I seem to be saying too often, bank of trees. <laughs> it's better than a, <laughs> this giant, nasty-looking concrete wall. It really is, isn't it? And they're lovely, mature trees. It's one of the benefits, having been here since 1970s, some of the trees are now amazingly mature, all planted by us. You mm -hmm. know, they've all been planted because of the development. They weren't here before. But there's a building in that corner that all the locals know is the Toast Rack. The which toast is rack. Knack Pharmaceuticals. Right. So they're actually doing research and production in there. I was going to say toast then. <laughs> toast. Um, but that, that's, it's a bit like Thunderbirds building. It, it has that concrete exoskeleton interspersed with glass. We'll see it in a minute. Yeah. But these three buildings were originally part of Knapp's holding on the Science Park. Right. And then they've, they've now sold them on. But um, so they used to be part of Knapp. Monday Farmer is indeed still part of Knapp. And then you've got um, the, the other two buildings bracketing it. But it's a lovely, it's a very green corner of the Science Park. Um, it is. There's a lot of space here. You can see the A14 junction just in the background. Um, yes, you can. But you can't hear it too much, can no, you? No, you can't. And, and, and listeners will be able to, I mean, there's a van passing us, but there's there a, you'll be, yep. be able to hear that they can't hear it. Yes. And I may have strange tastes, but I, I do find that quite... That, those, those, that sort of nest of three buildings quite inviting. You're not the um, only one. I, I do tours of people coming to learn about science parks occasionally, and they always comment and say, well, they're new. In fact, they're not new. They're probably about 20 years old, I think, maybe older. No. Well, they don't look it. Yeah. They've they aged really, really well. Whereas the building on our right, which I believe is younger... Has not. Hasn't. That architectural style, you know, back in the day when land values here were not what they are now and when the pressure on space was not what it is now that was a sensible solution it was a you know met somebody's direct need so a building yeah. you know, two stories there one story in the extension or the annex whatever it is um was sensible nowadays that's not working hard enough and it doesn't look like the sort of building that the instagram generation and i don't say that flippantly no, I, I, I understand what you mean. people who are much more clued in to design an environment than I ever was when I was younger, um, they would turn up to that and think, oh, do I want to work here or shall I work for MathWorks or Roku? Yeah. They're all competing to a large extent for the same talent pool. So, so you need to, what we would like to do with a building of that age, which is probably not energy efficient, its EPC will be pretty unimpressive, is to remove it and put something much more contemporary in its place so higher not excessively high no and there but are it is quite low that will so. stop us, but higher than that so you're making the land work harder and improving the greenery absolutely because it, it, it's so. slightly, it does look slightly incongruous when you look over the other side of the road yes. you've got these fantastic and i can't believe they're as old as you as you say they are but glass yeah. steel buildings that look yes. really impressive and really inviting. I've, and, I've been in those buildings, yeah. they're amazing. Uh, but yeah, got living walls in, I'd be proud to work there. Yeah. I would work in, you know, the company well, course, in here I mean, is probably amazing as well. Yes, I mean, no, But I'm it not... doesn't give that impression to the outside, no. either to an employee or indeed to future customers no. or collaborators. So it, there's an important, shall we say, game to be played around that yeah. whole story as well. So you, you, you kind of half answered my question already mm. in kind of what you want to do there. But what's the, mm. like I say, 
there's, there's a cachet to being here. There's a huge yes. cachet to being here, yes. being in Cambridge. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you about how we relate to the green belt in a minute. But yeah. um, what's the process for sort of achieving that vision then? Because you can't basically sort of race, race in and go, right, we don't like this anymore. Out you go. <laughs> no, wouldn't that be nice? That would be, lovely. be lovely. So they're, they're, one thing to bear in mind is that we have companies in the buildings. Yes. They need business continuity. So that's very, very important to us. And to the in this section of the park, some of these, quite a lot of these buildings are not owned by Trinity College, so there are other stakeholders yes. who own those buildings. Which they, makes it all more, more complicated. It does, it does. But the, the modern landscape is that those stakeholders are much more communicative and visionary yes. uh, than predecessors. Mm -hmm. Times have changed. It's not yes. to be critical of previous owners, it's just say times have changed. Cambridge Science Park has this stellar reputation as a, a primary science park globally. Mm. And it, it's deserved. It's worked hard to achieve that. We need to maintain that reputation. Yes. So you have to have this constant process of renewal so that the experience of people coming to visit this astonishing place isn't, oh, but it's <laughs> wow. Exactly. <laughs> and if you've got the wow, then that works not only for us as a brand, but more importantly, in many, well, almost every way, for the companies that are based here. Yes. We are the enablers. We provide the built environment. We provide, to some, quite some significant degree, the community. You know, so I, I was in Microsoft a uh, few months ago, and they said, what are you doing? You know, tenant of their calibre, cut you no slack, rightly so. Of course. They want to know what we are doing to help them do business. Yeah. And we have a role in that um, through providing events, through the environment, through... You know, we've, we've got a landscape management plan that we had to be paused, unfortunately, during the pandemic. That's now been dusted off. Mm. And it's got all sorts of wonderful ideas for plantings and hammock grows. And they're all being reassessed. We're saying, well, how do we deliver this now? You know, keep, the, keep the improvement, keep the attractiveness of this place relevant for... Everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in a way, I mean, we talked about politicians a bit a, a few minutes ago. Mm. Uh, you're, uh, we're, we're passing the toe track now, and now I see what you mean about <laughs> Thunderbirds. You expected to, you know, start retracting so a rocket can launch yes. out, of the, out of the basement. For a um, 1970s building, it's astonishingly futuristic. It is, now. it is really. I think it's an amazing um, bit of architecture. You are kind of, in a way, a small P politician in that. One, I'm very jealous of the fact you can just rock up anywhere and you've got a very good reason for being there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, but you're right, because I remember no, no less a personage being at a meeting where no, no less a personage than Matt Hancock, mm. uh, which kind of invalidates it, but uh, Matt Hancock said, uh, and he, this is so true, and I've always remembered it, politics is not about gratitude, it's about what have you done for me lately. And yes. that's kind of, you know... with Short the term memories. Well, the... When you've got a tenant like Microsoft, who yeah. know the value of being in Cambridge, mm -hmm. but they also know the value of the name Microsoft, yeah. um, you, it, it is very much that relationship of what have you, Cambridge Science Park, mm. done for us, Microsoft, mm. lately? Mm. Because we know what we've done for you. Uh, we've just been here for a start. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've got that, that, that management job of, of various different brands with different identities and a different consciousness over, over, over what they bring. Yes. Um, and you've got to manage all that. That's a hell of a task. 
It is, and particularly on an estate of this size and with the diversity and the sheer... Should we cut through this yep, way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, through the greenery. But through the sheer range of companies, because we do house the complete range, you know, from pre-revenue startups through to Microsoft. Um, massive organisations. Absolutely. So meeting their not conflicting but diverse needs is quite a challenge. So one of the things I, I love is that this, this greenery, is attractive to Microsoft. Yes. You know, they, they also had, I think they still have their bases in central Cambridge, which is much more urban, and provides, of course, a lot of amenity, being uh -huh. so accessible to the shops around the station. Yes. That's what we need to provide here, and that's what's in our vision for the future. And again, if you're providing shops and cafes, it's not just for people who are working on the park, it's for the people in the area. And if you look at the, um, the plans for the whole of North East Cambridge, the council themselves has some very ambitious plans for um, if, if the waterworks are moved, mm -hmm. um, for redeveloping that whole area around Cambridge North Station. And what's fantastic here is we've got this brand new station in the middle of almost nowhere at the moment, but it's yeah. there, it's ready yeah. for this enhancement and growth of this particular part of yes. Cambridge, which is really, it's really good to see because it's an area that deserves investment and it deserves amenity improvement as well. And you, I don't know if you saw, I, I came in by train the other day um, through the, by, by the biomedical campus. Right. They finally started building the platform for the new Cambridge really? South Station. Ah. Which is very, very long in the promise. <laughs> I, I met one of the delivery architects for the AstraZeneca headquarters down there at a UK Science Park Association conference about nine months ago. And he said, have got the station in yet? Well, not yet. <laughs> yes. I know it's in the works. And to actually see the very white, shiny new slabs of concrete that are the, <laughs> the, the base of the first platform to be going in was very exciting, I have to say. So, so is that one stop, step on from the centre? Yes. It's is it between, North it's, Cambridge, South? Yes. Right. So you've got the, the original Cambridge station, then Cambridge North was opened, uh, I think, about two years ago. And then Cambridge South is now incoming, which will really, really help people getting to Addenbrooke's, Patworth. Yeah, that's Rosie, exciting for me. Biomedical campus, my house. <laughs> <laughs> exciting, even I more exciting. I have in the game with that one. Exactly. I can walk to the station or cycle. So, no, it's very exciting. And there's a big employment focus in the South City that's mm. not as well served as it could be. So, it's really good to see that. Because, Absolutely. again, we've got to see this. What, what everyone in the sector calls modal shift, yes. which is getting out of single-lock park cars for commuting and travelling and getting into more sustainable forms of transport. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love the independence my car gives me. I'm not prejudiced against car users in any way. But I have kids, and I can see what's happening with climate change. Yes. And we've, we've all got to change our behaviours. We do, and we really do. And that's terribly hard to achieve, but... It's not really an option anymore. Indeed. Where are we in relation to the green belt around Cambridge? Um, so the green belt is just the other side of the A14. Right. So this science park is not and has never been in the green belt. Mm -hmm. But good, we're very good. proud of our greenery. Um, mm -hmm. No, I would say so. And, I mean, just standing here back at the Bradford, we've got the waterfall playing. It's just, I mean, it's lovely. Um, we could do more. That 
bank of very tired Leylandii. Yeah, nineteen eighties monotonous planting. That yeah. was that was the fashion back then. Um, it's not only unattractive because they have gone a bit wild. It's also not good for biodiversity. Right. So we're conscious that we need to keep working on improving the biodiversity. And actually, where we've walked, we've gone through sort of monoculture almost yeah. of a hedge plant all around a particular building. Now, the one around the Royal Society of Chemistry is housing wonderful birds' nests, which is great, but it's not generally good for biodiversity. Yeah. And you've got to look at enhancing that. Yeah. Um, because it's the right thing to do and new developments expect you to it's actually enshrined in the consent so you have to look at biodiversity improvement of a certain right. percentage so there's a legal drive to do it as well um but here you look around all sorts of different trees different plants different grasses got ornamental thistles so lots of seed heads that birds like some of the areas we've walked through there are loads of brambles you know, mm. one of our questions is well you know, that doesn't look too good that looks neglected the Wildlife Trust perspective was, well, you could tidy it up, but don't do it too much because bramble thickets are fantastic for ground nesting and foraging birds and small mammals. Yeah. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Indeed. You can do work which will actually improve the biodiversity as well as the visual appeal, but take care not to damage anything. And that's exactly the sort of advice that we want to hear Yes. because we don't want to get it wrong. We want to get it right. Yeah. And... We mentioned, we touched on the, this concept for Cambridge Science Park, Park North for Midtech, which is just the other side of the A14. That is land that is in the green belt, but it's not accessible to the public. Yeah. And the plan that Trinity is proposing, which has been ex extensively tested with, with locals, includes more than 50% public park and 30% yeah. biodiversity enhancement which this is, is more getting, than what's yeah. the minimum that you're required it's also going to be a carbon um net positive would you believe yes i would I which would. is astonishing it's a phrase i hadn't even come across until very recently yeah. so it it's something we're all really mindful of and actually protective of as well um i'm not saying all developers are but we are and i think you get patient capital that an outfit like trinity that's been here for centuries brings to the conversation and yeah. it is a different story from the more normal property development model which is that you find a good site you develop it you fill the buildings with tenants and then you sell it and because the property developer is just that they're not in it for holding the land yeah. someone someone like trinity has a, a different perspective they yeah. want to hold the land in perpetuity really right. Not that I'm committing them. No, no indeed. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Given that Henry VIII gave us this site, <laughs> we still got it. You know, it says a lot. I'm just watching this wade, there's a wading bird. It's either a cooter or a moorhen, my wife would know which, wandering around the tables. Um, Is it white face or red beak? It's uh, red beak, I think. It's got moorhen. Big, big yellow feet. Yeah, that's moorhen. Moorhen. Um, I'm glad I didn't yeah. say coot. And it's, it's quite, it seems quite relaxed in, in, in amongst these uh, sort of scientists and... Yeah. And staff, and uh, how, how fantastic. Yeah, they're quite useless. We've got lots of rabbits and deer and... Yeah, yeah I saw some. There's I saw a heron some... that fishes these ponds all hey. the time. It's just amazing. And you can walk up within six feet of the heron. He's, yeah. He's kind of got used to us, right. or she. Well, Jane Hutchins, what a wonderful um, walk, what a wonderful tour of Cambridge uh, Science Park. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. Seeing new bits that I, I, I didn't know were there, going, oh, that's where that person is, sort of making yes. connections. And to know that... You're not just saying, it's Cambridge, take it or leave it. You're saying, we, it's, a, it's a constant process yes. of iteration, 
thought, development, and that's a wonderful thing for the city. It's a wonderful thing for the region. Uh, all power to you, Eastern Promise. Uh, we'll always support parks like this because it's so fundamental to the future of not just Cambridge, not just the east of England, mm. the world. Um, and that sounds slightly grandiose, but I'm going <laughs> to roll with it. Uh, Jane, thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. I am hugely grateful to Jane for being so generous with her time. However, what you heard there was a mere fragment, a, a taster, if you will, of the full interview and accompanying tour, which you can find in all its glory on the Eastern Promise podcast feed. Now, I would say this, wouldn't I? But a listen is well worth your time. Because I had a hoot, and so will you. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company.